0: If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be starting in chapter 4 today. We are finishing up a series as we're starting a new series next week. Funny how that works. Uh, finishing up our series today called Together, uh, looking at the impact when God's people get together, the importance of God's people getting together. We found out in week 1 that, that together we find peace. And together we find peace. Week two, we saw that together we experience love. In week three, last Sunday, we saw how together we grow stronger. Uh, and today we're going to finish up with, with this massively big statement that together we can change the world. How many of you know that we live in a world that could use some change? Uh, we live in a world that has that fallen that is broken, that is not living up to God's design or God's expectation. Uh, and he has actually chosen for us, the church, to be the agents of change in the world. It's a big responsibility. So the question as we start out with is, who is your favorite superhero? Captain America, Captain America favorite superhero. We got the, the patriotic answer. All right, I heard some Spider-Man. Spider-Man uh green arrow got lots of different cho- choices thrown out there uh we live in what is probably the the superhero uh golden era, right? Like if you are a superhero fan, uh, this is a great time for you to be alive because every other movie that comes out is a comic book movie right now. Uh, Every comic book hero has their own movie uh, as well as some group that they are a part of, that they're in this greater story of movies. Uh, Superhero movies are so popular right now, even villains are getting their own movies. Uh, Like that's how big of a deal superheroes are uh, at this season. So we got, my personal favorite is Batman. I know that's like the most cliche answer, but it's still the best answer. So thank you. Uh, he's got all the best movies, all the best toys, all the best stuff, uh, and no superpower. He's just that good. Uh, so he's better than your superhero. Um, But how could you not love superheroes, right? Like they they stand for justice. Uh, They they step in. They do noble things. They risk their lives to help others. Many times we see them saving the world as they fight for good. Um, But I'm actually going to tell you today that the world doesn't need any more superheroes. The world does not need any more superheroes. In fact, the world doesn't have any superheroes. And if the world needed superheroes... God would have made some, right? Or God would have allowed for that nuclear waste to morph someone into one uh, or whatever your favorite origin story is here, Uh, right? Unfortunately, there are no superheroes and sometimes that seems like, man, we could really use one, but God had a different plan. The fact that there are no superheroes does not mean that God doesn't want to save the world. The fact that there are no superheroes doesn't mean that God doesn't have a mechanism for how to accomplish change on this planet. Um, and so, what we actually need more of is we need more people like Mr. Rogers. How many of you guys know Mr. Rogers? Fred Rogers? Uh, and f- f- true superhero style, we're gonna do some compare and contrast between superheroes and Mr. Rogers. So, first category, raw. Strength and Rugged Good Looks. Uh, That's going to have to go to the superheroes, right? Uh, No offense to Fred, RIP, but uh, he probably couldn't hang with Chris Evans or whichever your favorite actor uh, who plays one of these guys is. I'll give you that one if you're on Team Superhero. But when it comes down to saving the world, for superheroes, it's all a story. It's all make-believe. Mr. Rogers actually loved make-believe but he used make-believe to open kids' imaginations and make a real difference in the real world. Point for Mr. Rogers, real greater than fake. Uh, Superheroes sometimes have this this pride and arrogance. In fact, one of my other favorite superheroes is Iron Man, Uh, and Iron Man is basically known for being a jerk, right? Uh, and, And so you can have that with superheroes. Mr. Rogers, on the other hand, was extremely humble, quiet, uh, not very self-assuming. I'm going to take Mr. Rogers in that competition every day of the week. In his own soft-spoken, extremely friendly and neighborly way, Mr. Rogers told kids day after day that they were special, that there was something about them. Um, he tell, told them things like, I like you just the way you are. You know that God likes you just the way you are? He wants us to get better. He sees something better in us, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love us right where we're at. Sometimes we have this idea that God wants to love some future fixed version of us, right? Some resurrected version of us, some heavenly version of us. And yes, that version of us exists, and yes, that version will one day appear. But God loves you right now. Just the way you are, with all your junk, with all your flaws, with all your weaknesses, with all your failures, he loves you just how you are today. Amen? Amen. See, let's do, do one more comparison here. Uh, superheroes oftentimes are, are marked by independence, right? If you're a superhero, you don't really need a lot of help. Uh, Mr. Rogers was marked... By cooperation. Yes, many superheroes have a sidekick, and some of them even have alliances that they partake in, but as we know, those even lead to things like Civil War, right? Superheroes can't always get along because they're independent, because they think they're self-sufficient, but Mr. Rogers understood and built his entire career out of making other people feel welcome, included, and needed, He didn't put other people down. He always sought ways to build other people up. Mr. Rogers wins this category as well. So does the world need more superheroes? Uh, I think right now we have plenty of superheroes, right? We've got plenty of shows and movies and books and all kinds of stuff. But what we need is a lot more people like Mr. Rogers, which I think are much more rare. Uh, Fred Rogers was a very unique individual who accomplished some very unique things. And you know, it's no coincidence, you may, not, may or may not know this, but Fred Rogers was an ordained pastor. The reason why he was able to accomplish the things that he did was everything he did in his whole Mr. Rogers neighborhood empire was built on Christ-like principles on the example of Jesus. He saw who Jesus was and tried to live that out on a daily basis. And because of it, he made a great impact. See, the reality is we don't really need more people even like Mr. Rogers. We need more people like Jesus Christ. And Mr. Rogers followed Christ's example and in the same way, we are called to follow his example. But I believe we can learn a lot as a church from Fred Rogers. Um, about creating space that welcomes people and all people, that welcomes them to encourage them, to dream with them, to listen to them, and to walk with them. By these simple acts, he made a great impact on the world. And in similar ways, we as a church are called to fulfill our purpose as God's people here on earth when we experience and share peace, as we talked about in week one. Uh, we're called to, to experience love together the love of God together, as we saw in week two. We're called to grow stronger together, that man, this togetherness makes us better, and today we're called to change the world together. We're going to explore some ways that we can do that, and as we do, we're going to turn back to the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us Throughout this series, we've been walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, this city in what is now modern day Turkey. And uh, we've been journeying through, and, and we discovered that the first half of the book is very Godward, it's very gospel centered, it teaches us the story of who Jesus is and why that's important. And the second half of the book is very practical, it's very earth level. What do we do with this now that we know? Who Jesus is. And so we're in the second half. We're going to finish up chapter four today. And we're going to focus today on Ephesians 4 32 through chapter 5, verse 2. It's just a few verses here at the end. The apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus, and ultimately through the Holy Spirit to us, he says this. He says, Be kind to each other. Everybody say be kind. kind. Tenderhearted, say tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, say "forgiving." forgiving. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Everybody say love. Love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. What we're going to talk about today is three steps to changing the world. And this might not go the way that you expect it to, so hang with me. Don't write yourself off because you say, I can't change the world. I believe you've got a bigger part to play than you realize. The first step to changing the world is we must dream big, but act small. Dream big, but act small. Do you have a big dream in your heart? Has God placed a dream in you, a dream for a better world, a better city, a better family, a better community, a better school, a better workplace? Is there a dream in you for a better tomorrow? I hope there is, because I believe God is dreaming for a better tomorrow. I believe God is looking for a better tomorrow, and I believe he's looking for people to build that better tomorrow. Uh, I believe Mr. Rogers would have been pretty familiar with these verses in Ephesians, uh, that he, to be kind to each other, to be tender-hearted, to be forgiving one another. I believe he modeled and embodied those types of things. Oftentimes, when we think about making an impact on the world, uh, changing the world, we get hung up on massive, big Things, right? Superhero kinds of things, or at least very extraordinary human types of things. We think of people like Tom and or Albert Einstein, or Nelson Mandela, or Steve Jobs. We think of these people who did huge, huge things, and then we think, man, I'll never accomplish anything that significant myself. Uh, but listen to this list that Paul gives again. Paul says, Be kind. Every one of us in this room has the ability to be kind. Right, you may not have the mind to conceive of and invent the light bulb, or as Thomas Edison said, to find ten thousand ways not to invent the light bulb. Right, and he failed a whole lot more times than he succeeded. He just kept sticking with it. You may not have that mind. I know that I don't, but I can be kind, be tender-hearted. Right, You may not have the, the business acumen of Steve Jobs to develop an Apple empire and conceive of iPods and iPads and iPhones and all the different devices that he created which are so transcendent in the culture now or knocked off by others that have made billions of dollars. I don't have that kind of business skill, but I can be tenderhearted. Forgiving each other, you may not have the courage of Nelson Mandela, to stand up against oppression and to make an entire country change from apartheid, from racism, from oppressing one color underneath another. You may not have that courage and you may not have that calling, but you can forgive. It might be tough. It might not always be easy, but this list Paul gives us in Ephesians isn't really that difficult, is it? These aren't massive things that God is looking for unique individuals with special anointing and special characteristics. This is something that every single one of us in this room, if we choose, can begin to live out in our daily lives. I believe that God's calling us to dream big but to act small. Uh, Think about those people again, or or think about some others that we would think of as world changers and history makers. Mozart, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Walt Disney, the Beatles, right? Anybody who made some incredible impact. uh, I believe they all share a couple characteristics in common. In fact, let me ask you a couple of questions. This person, he or she, or this group, they may be known or best known for one big impact, but what were the steps along the way for them to get there i've heard it said that there is no such thing as an overnight success anybody that we look at as an overnight success Man, they overnight went from unheard of to successful, but they did not overnight acquire the tools, the skills, the ability to launch that success. All that was was the accumulation of years of hard work, of dedication, of faithfulness that positioned them to explode onto the scene in what seemed like one big moment. Second question is this, did that person do it alone Time and time again, when we look at the greatest people in history, they were all surrounded by great people. They all had great assistants. To go back to our superhero illustration, they had awesome sidekicks, right? Uh, Batman had his Robin, or actually, I don't even think Robin was Batman's best assistant. I think it was Alfred, right? Like, props to my boy Alfred. He's overlooked and underrated. He didn't have to wear a suit or a cape or tights. It's points in his favor, uh, right? Right? <laughs> To make his impact. You see, even those who get to the top don't get to the top alone. It's the accumulation of small events, of small decisions, of consistent excellence that positions them for success. And it's the accumulation of wise relationships of surrounding themselves with people who are smarter than them, who've gone further than them, who can develop them, who can help them along the way. These are the people who go the furthest and accomplish the most. I think so often we get stuck up on viewing changing the world as this gigantic mission. And for it to really be real and meaningful, uh, that we think that there's got to be this big, impressive change. But Too often we fall into negative comparisons of looking at our everyday life, our boring life, our seemingly mundane life, and we look at this massive accomplishment of somebody else and we say, man, it doesn't even compare. told you last week, and I've talked about it before, but I brought some pictures this time of a little bit different part of the trip. But I did a road trip with my dad uh, a year ago. And with my son, and we went to the Grand Canyon was our ultimate goal, but we were able to accomplish some other things along the way. And so we drove through some other cool places. We stayed at the Grand Canyon and really got to soak it in and enjoy it, but we wanted to see some other stuff because we were in a part of the country we'd never been. So one of the places we went is a place called Arches National Park. Arches National Park is in southeast Utah and it's famous for arches. Go ahead and throw this up there. This is not like McDonald's National Park, let me say that. Go ahead and throw that first picture up there for us. This is me, as you can see, sunburnt and looking really awesome with my In N Out product placement. You can send the check to all the branch In N Out. Um, but uh, you can see up behind me there's an arch in the top center. That's called Delicate Arch. That is actually the most famous arch in the world, of a naturally formed arch. They actually lit the Olympic flame under that arch in 2002 for the Salt Lake City Olympics. Uh, Doesn't really look like much from this vantage point, but this is where you could drive to, uh, which is all we had the time to. There's a hike up that hill to the arch where you get the really cool picture. So go ahead and show the next one that I took. This is a little more of a close-up, zoomed in just a little bit. You can see it. You can see some people on the trail down below heading up. And then go ahead and throw the, the real picture up that everyone might recognize. That's delicate arch if you get to the top. That's the payoff that we did not accomplish. Uh, did not get to, but we've seen other pictures of it. Uh, one day I would love to get up there and stand under that thing and look at it. The amazing thing about that formation, and there, there's a ton of them in Arches National Park. I figure how mi- forget how many, but it's the largest concentration of natural arches in the world. And so you see them kind of all over as you're going through the park. The amazing thing about this is it's formed little by little by little by little. Last week we talked about how something massive like the Grand Canyon is formed by tons and tons of little bitty drops of water coming together, right? And the force of water carving out the rock. Well, Delicate Arch was not formed by a massive amount of water. It was simply formed by a little bit of water and a little bit of wind over a large amount of time, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. In fact, I believe it was in 2008, there was another arch in the park called wall arch, and wall arch actually caved in, because the continuous erosion, you see, that is not a finished product. That is a product that is continually, continuing to erode, and if God allows the earth to carry out long enough one day, it will fall down as well. Why? Why? Because of the impact of just faithful day after day, wind and rain and elements and weather chipping away, chipping away imperceptibly. You wouldn't go back the next day and notice a difference. You wouldn't go back the next year and notice a difference. You probably wouldn't go back in a hundred years, if God were to allow you to live that long, and notice a difference. But over time, the consistency in the faithfulness, the force of the same thing happening over and over and over again can destroy rock. What kind of an impact could we make with the consistency of faithfulness of day after day after day seeking God? Day after day after day being kind. Day after day after day being tenderhearted. Day after day after day after day forgiving others. You see, those things aren't glamorous. Those things don't seem so massive and so significant. Nobody might even notice what you're doing. But little by little by little, those decisions begin to shape the world around us. Those things we do begin to leave a mark, and we may not be able to see it, but over time, the accumulative of of what we leave behind can be massive. You see, together we can change the world. Ephesians 5, 2 in the New Living said, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. See, it's telling us to be like Jesus. And if we're like Jesus, it's gonna be this pleasing scent, this pleasing aroma aroma we went camping this weekend with some of our friends from church of the harvest shout out to everybody who went camping and still came to church major well done uh, we went to the bathroom at the campgrounds and it did not have a pleasing aroma uh, right like you know about those unpleasant aromas god says man if we'll be like jesus He was a pleasing aroma to God, man. There was something about the way he lived that, man, it was fresh air. I just want to breathe this in. And we're called to be just like him. One of our biggest prayers as a church, one of our greatest goals, is that we could be a place of fresh air. That people who have gone through toxic situations, whether that be in their home life, whether that be in, in their daily life, whether that be in their church history that as they come to City Church, whether it's a small group or a youth ministry event or a Sunday morning or anything that they do, that we could actually be a breath of fresh air. But even more than that, that we'd be sending fresh air out into the community, that our people would be marked as fresh air. Man, that as you're at work, man, and there's just something different about you than the other coworkers, and people gravitate towards you, and they don't even know what it is, but it's the Jesus inside of you. Right, that's the vision. That may not be super glamorous. They might not seem so significant. But if we could do that, just this group in this room, if we could be those people, if we could accomplish that in our school places, at at our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, in our homes, what an impact that would make in the world around us. If we could simply be a pleasing aroma, if we could be fresh air. The second thing we must do to change the world is we must, number two, recognize the eternal. Recognize the eternal. True togetherness means that we have a shared purpose. Everybody say purpose. purpose. I tried to stall there and have you say something so I could drink some water, but it wasn't a long enough word. Should have had a bigger word. Uh, we have a shared purpose, right? We we have something that we're supposed to accomplish together. Being united in purpose. Keeps us working towards a common goal. And you know what I've discovered? That the more that we're working together and moving towards something, the less frustrated we get with each other. The times where I've seen conflict and drama and gossip rise up in City Church, and it hasn't been often, but it does happen. Those are usually the times that we've kind of gotten off track. Those are the times where we're not really doing anything. We're kind of just coasting. We're kind of just going through the church motions. And if we take the foot off the gas and we relax and we forget about our purpose, what happens? We start to turn on each other. It happens all the time in church world, unfortunately. Why is it so important for us to be united around a common purpose? Number one, is God's got something for us to accomplish. But number two, it keeps us from all that other foolishness. It keeps us from from all that infighting and all that drama, and it makes the job easy for our elders and our pastor. And thank you guys for being an easy, low-maintenance church. Man, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that about you, and I so desire to see that stay the same, and not just because it makes my job easy, because it makes God look good. When we get along, when we walk in unity, uh, and when we pursue purpose together, when we unify around something, something incredible can happen. Paul warns the church in Ephesus that they got to be prepared to fight for community, to fight for togetherness, that it's not just going to happen. Uh, in the same way, we have to be united against evil, united against disunity, against gossip, against all that stuff, and ready to fight Against division, Ephesians six ten through twelve says very famously. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If we could just grab a hold of those like five words right there, maybe it's more than that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Eight words, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and bro- blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me, let me put some other terms to that. Our struggle is not against so-and-so Baptist church or so-and-so Lutheran church or so-and-so Methodist church or so-and-so Presbyterian church. It's not against another church, amen? amen. That's not our struggle. But our struggle is not even against people who worship a different god. Our struggle is not against Hinduism, it's not against Buddhism, it's not against Islam, it's not against Mormonism, it's not against whatever thing you can insert here as a false belief, that's not who our struggle is against, it's not against those people. It's not against the people who worship those things, right? Our struggle is not against Democrats, it's not against Republicans, it's not against President so-and-so or Congressman so-and-so, it's not against people. And so often we get so focused on wrestling with people and, and defeating people and standing against people when people aren't the problem. Right, Your struggle is not against that other person in the church who sees something a little bit differently than you do or who wants to accomplish something a little bit differently than you do. That's not our struggle. And if the enemy can get us to lower our sights and fight with each other or fight together against other people out there, then he wins. Because if we're fighting against people, we're not fighting against him. Right? And so Paul says clearly to the Ephesians, your battle is not against people. People are not the problem. Now, are people a problem? Yes, we are a problem. I am a problem. You are a problem, right? Like, we all got problems. We all cause issues for other people. But ultimately, you're not the source of the problem. You're just a symptom of the problem. The problem is sin, The problem is the enemy who is behind this stuff. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He defines the struggle for us. I think so many times we would make such a a, a better decision if we could identify the struggle. And struggle against the right thing in the right place. When when we know that the real battle is a spiritual one, it puts the rest of stuff in perspective. Right, we've got to remember the eternal. Notice that in his description of our metaphoric armor, he finishes it up and highlights it in verse 18. He says this He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So he tells us all this stuff to put on. You know it, right? The breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and the feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace and take up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And we know this stuff, but he finishes that up and he says, look, when you fight, because you're going to fight, you're in a fight, fighting is the right thing, Fight in the right direction, identify the right enemy, and don't you dare go to battle without being prayed up. Praying the Spirit on all occasions. In other words, don't wait for the battle to come to you. Take the battle to the enemy. Right? Don't wait for the bad report from the doctor. Don't wait until your kid starts rebelling. Don't wait until stuff goes wrong and now say, okay, now we're going to fight. He says, praying the Spirit on all occasions. Things are going really good right now. Start covering stuff in prayer. Man, th- things look pretty, pretty solid in your finances for what? Once, man, start standing for your finances in prayer. Things look good in your marriage. That's the time to stand for your marriage. Things look good with your kids, and they're young, and they're respectful, and they do things right. That's the time to cover them in prayer, right? So often we are reactive, and God's looking for a church that's proactive. He says... To Peter, when Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, he says, I say that you are Peter, son of Jonah, and on this rock, the rock of your declaration of faith and who Jesus is, I will build my church. And he says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what's kind of funny about gates? (laughs) Gates don't advance, gates don't move. The picture of the gates of hell not prevailing against the church is the picture of the church taking the battle to the enemy, not a picture of the enemy bringing the battle to the church. Our job is to go rescue people. It's to plunder hell and populate heaven. That's our responsibility, but so often we just coast until problems show up, until the marriage falls apart, until the kid runs away, and then all of a sudden we want to get spiritual. Why are we defeated? Why are we not accomplishing something? Because we're waiting for the battle to come to us. Paul says start praying on all occasions with all kinds of requests. Man, if we would take that up, if we take up the armor and put it on on a daily basis when things are going well. I think things look a whole lot different when they don't go well. I think the answers would come a whole lot faster, and the solutions would show up a whole lot simpler if we would build these habits and little by little make this stuff happen. Remember the eternal. Number three, to change the world, we must stay connected. We must stay connected. Even when we recognize and remember the eternal, changing our world still takes effort, and it requires connection in another epistle another letter in the new testament in the book of hebrews it says this to a different group of believers it says let us hold unswervingly everybody say unswervingly. unswervingly that's just a fun word to say nothing important there let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful you know that he's faithful church He that promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love that it says that we should consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. In other words, part of my responsibility as a believer, not as a pastor, but a believer is not just to get my stuff right and to move myself in the right direction. But I actually have a responsibility to to encourage others, man, to challenge others, to push others and point others in the right direction. And it's not just supposed to be accidental or something that just kind of happens because I have the right attitude and I say the right things. He says, let us actually consider it. Now, let's spend some time thinking about it. Let's be intentional about this. Do you know somebody who spurs you on towards love and good deeds? You know, somebody in your life, do you have somebody like that? That, man, the more that I get around them, the more I just want to do stuff right. If you don't, you're missing out. You better find one. But let me encourage you with this. Be that person. Man, let's, let's, let's take up that manna. Let's take that step and be that one who will encourage others. It's an important part of life for us is simply to get together. That can mean physically gathering, it can mean worshiping together, that can mean studying together or fellowshipping together, Um, and unfortunately, there's a whole list of things that get in the way, right? Our schedules, our commitments, our busyness, our exhaustion, and that's just like the outward things. Then there's the inward things, our disagreements, our loneliness, our anxiety, right? Those things can keep us from gathering together. The list goes on. It can be easy for our time together to get squeezed out. I told you we went camping uh, Friday night at Waldoxy State Park. I got a picture of a group that went on a, on a hike. If you'll go ahead and throw that up for us. This is some of the people, not all the people, that went with us on this hike. You'll notice there's a ton of kids in the front row. And so we did this two-mile hike, and this is at, after the two-mile hike, so we're all looking our best. Um, and uh, the, the fun of it was my three-year-old daughter decided she didn't want to do the hike, so I got to carry her, so... Uh some, sometimes you get to carry. I didn't carry it the whole way. Uh, I don't want to make it out, but may, maybe a little short of half, a third, somewhere in there. Uh, up, but the, the hard parts of the hike, right? The uphill parts, the the muddy parts, the parts where like there were slats missing on the bridges we were crossing. Like that's the part where I'm I'm carrying her, and I'm imagining myself like tripping and falling, and my daughter dying, and it being my fault. I'm very dramatic. Um, so. Uh, it was fun though, right? Like we, we did something out of the ordinary, something that wasn't necessarily comfortable, something that required some work. Why? Because we wanted that fellowship. We wanted to be together. And I know I came home closer to a number of people than I left. Why? Because simply we put some time into it. We set aside some time to be together. We did like three worship songs And maybe talked about God for 10 minutes. This was not like this overly spiritual weekend, although the spiritual time was really good and I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. But mostly, it was sitting around cooking stuff on a charcoal grill uh, because we had a burn ban and couldn't have a campfire. Uh, It it was talking, it was helping each other put up a tent or take down a tent or finding stuff to, to clean the tent or whatever it might be. We were just doing life together. There's something that happens when we can just slow down and shut all the stuff off and all the distractions off and just be together. Isn't that why we love or hate the holidays, right, depending on who you're with and what you feel about the people that you're with? We either really look forward to the holidays or we really dread the holidays because we're going to be stuck in a room with the same people, right? Um, But if it's people that you want to be with, that's a powerful thing. That's an amazing thing to be surrounded by people that are life-giving. So so let's bring this all home to City Church as we get ready to wrap up. We're called to do all these things together, to grow together, to experience peace together, to experience love together, to ultimately change the world little by little. Together, and ultimately what we're called to at City Church is we're called to together reach this city of Olive Branch by reaching one. That's our mission. That's our purpose. What, why do we say Reaching our city by reaching one. Well, we were inspired very strongly by a Mother Teresa quote you might be familiar with. But Mother Teresa very famously said that to the world, you might just be one person. But to one person, you might be the world. And I think that's a very godly, very true statement. Are we going to change the entire world as city church? Probably not. That's why we're part of a bigger kingdom. That's why there's other churches and God's got other things going on, right? We're not going to change the whole world, but we can change somebody's world. We can change the city. We can reach this city by reaching one person at a time, one family at a time, one issue at a time, one, one, one problem at a time that we can step in and be Jesus in this situation. We can be kind. We can be tenderhearted. We can be forgiving. We can be fresh air. And as we do that little by little, day by day, consistently, I believe God's just going to breathe all over it. You see, we can't change the world, but the one we serve can. See, he didn't need to create any superheroes because he is a superhero. He has all the power. He's got them all. He can do every single one of them and he can do them easy and he doesn't have to have some like bitter backstory of how this happened to him and what people did to him, right? Like it's just who he is. And when we unite with him, when we imitate him, when we join with him, incredible, incredible things can happen. So together we find peace. Together we experience love. Together we grow stronger. And together we can change the world. I've got one last verse for you. As we close, as we think on this, as we allow this to to, to emanate in our hearts, my challenge is for us to take this out of here little by little, start allowing this to change us, start allowing us to impact this city, start allowing us to, to embrace this community the way he's calling us to. Ephesians 6, 23 and 24 says this, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. See, those are the last words of the book of Ephesians. This is his benediction. This is his close to this conversation he's having with them. Peace to the brothers and sisters. Can we say amen to that? Anybody want some peace? He sums it up. in Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two of the things we talked about, love and peace. And he says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Do you love him with an undying love? with a love that doesn't just show up on Sunday morning, but a love that impacts your life on Tuesday afternoon and Thursday night and throughout the week. If we love him with that kind of love, what are we gonna experience? We're gonna experience peace. We're gonna experience his love. We're gonna grow our faith. We're gonna reach this city by reaching one. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this letter that the apostle Paul has written to, to empower us and encourage us. God, I thank you that You're calling us to big things, but you're calling us to do it in small ways. Step by step, with humility, with kindness, with tenderheartedness, with forgiveness. God, I pray that those things would mark our church. God, that we would truly embody the characteristics of your son, Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't just say that that we love him or say that we're identified with him. Say that we're Christians, but but not allow it to, to impact us. God, we want to be impacted, and we want to be impacted together. God, you've designed for us to do this together, for us to to link arms and move forward to your purpose, to your call together. So help us to do that, God. Help us to, to walk this out, to incorporate this, and to embody it. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in the name of Jesus.